willing to make a pivot. You know, um, so hopefully you can bear with me on this one. Like I said, I'm definitely going to get better. And I am always mindful of what it is that I'm trying to do here. And like I said before, from the things that I've learned in life and from my experiences, we learn best from each other. And at my core, at my very core, one of the things that I've noticed about myself and one of the things that definitely keeps me fired up is, you know, teaching. Well, you have a little bit of a technical difficulty yeah, for a second. I really anyway, let me get back to it. So indeed. That's why, you know, today that goes is Martin Luther King Jr.'s um, Recognition Day. Um, I believe it's his actual birthday. I'm not, not too sure. Um, but today I had an experience. For the first time, I went to the event that is going by Alpha Phi Alpha Fraternity. It was at UMKC here in Kansas, Missouri. And the panel, uh, of course, was um, the familiar names. Congressman Cleaver was there, of course, like I said, the familiar names. Um, Mayor Quinn Lucas was also present. And it just so happens that the Kansas City Police also there with her name is Mrs. Graves I believe and of course you know um, there was some political representation there as well I'll definitely get into my thoughts on that later but you know I had an opportunity to uh, see a good friend or two um, but that's not really what this what this particular podcast is about. This particular podcast or this particular thing that I want to say and I want to get out and I felt the need to get out because, you know, as I started off before in the other previous podcast, you know, telling you a little bit about my story, telling you a little bit about my life um, because, you know, I think that's important for you to understand, you know, moving forward and if we are or if I want, well, if, it's, if it is my intention to, to build a community around this thing. best way for me to go about that and the reason I think it's important for me to do this is because of the experiences in my life that I've had. You know, when you are someone like myself, because I know I'm not the only one and you're trying to reach somebody or you're trying to reach people, you're presented with all types of challenges. When I was a lot younger, I never thought about it. As a matter of fact, when I was 18 years old, I had the <laughs> privilege, <laughs> you know, which really turned into to, you know, leave my division in boot camp. 
and I know for the most part, you know, some boot camp is some, some are pretty much something that everybody pretty, you know, tends to forget, you know, as soon as they're done with it, <laughs> done with, done with it, you know, and move on. But, you know, for, for the ones um, like myself who've had transformative experiences with boot camp, you know, boot camp, it was my rite of passage in a way because, <laughs> you know, the folks that know my story are, you know, about to, uh, you know, well, let me just stop. Yeah, at 15 years old, I was incarcerated for a few armed robberies. Um, I robbed a couple fast food restaurants. Um, I was young. I was trying to figure things out based off of the understanding that I was most comfortable with So, again, that's why I say that, you know, my story has to be important and and it can potentially um, serve more than just, you know, my meager, humble little self, you know. And I recognize this. And... It's not something that I just recently recognized, but like I said, when I had the honor to lead my division in, in boot camp, leadership was not something that was difficult for me because I was, for whatever reason, willing to make the greatest sacrifice. And when I look at it, it was natural for me in boot camp, only being 18 years old at the time. There were guys older than me, uh, yeah, same age. I don't think anybody was really younger than me. Uh, it started out with about 96 of us. I think we ended up with about 60-something of us. And the reason why leadership wasn't new to me was because when you're willing to make the biggest sacrifice and you've made – many sacrifices before like I said I was locked up at 15 years old so I had a little bit of time to think about the life that I had to give up because of the choices that I made so with that I had to of course lead myself first out of a difficult situation because you know for for you know for whatever reason or, or the things that I you know when I grew up you know um, there, there there wasn't anybody before me you know I was first I was you know I guess privileged to have that as well yeah I was the first son I was the first grandchild you know pretty much all that stuff you know and I know a lot of you first out there man you, you probably can feel feel my pain a little bit here and so, with me, yep. So, yep. No, no older brothers or anything like that. Just me and my mother, really, for the most part. Um, especially with the type of life that I pivoted towards um, in 
coach, man. There was no, there was no role model for me <laughs> in that in that regard. Now I did have a lot of people at that time, you know, when I was younger, that I did look up to, and those gentlemen, mostly, uh, well, my auntie as well, my auntie Karen Peters, God bless her soul. Um, she was, she was probably the first one that, you know, I recognized that she kind of cut her own path. You know, she kind of, she kind of did her own thing. Of course, my mother was as well, <laughs> but my aunt Kim, um, she was, uh, she was pretty tough with it. Um, every everybody that you know knew my aunt Kim knew that. First off, you couldn't say whatever you wanted to to her. And if you did slight her in some type of way, and she felt that, you know, she <laughs> she needed to react in, in in a particular way, she was going she was definitely going to go there. So, um my mother not so not necessarily so, <laughs> but you know, uh, or she, you know, she 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 just handled things a little bit different. And my mother's a beautiful woman and one of the things that I learned, you know, <laughs> by watching her is that don't let that beauty, you know, um, you know, mislead you for anything that, you know, could be taken uh, as it shouldn't. But anyway, so women, um, yes, I got the first model of, of, of really, you know, trying to handle myself, you know, from women. Which, you know, of course, like my mother, very good woman, she told me at a very young age um, that, you know, she couldn't teach me how to be a man. And I don't know if that helped me or not. Uh, well, yeah, it, it did, <laughs> you know, hindsight. But <laughs> it definitely put me on a path where, you know, I was willing to figure some things out. And so at a young age, um, I wanted to figure things out and figure them out very quickly and of course the environment that I was in you know it it provided you that experience as well but one of the things that was always a guy saying and a, and a blessing about my family is of course the spiritual foundation that I always stressed that we linked on and so that was always there um, I didn't necessarily go in and out of the church once I went out, I was pretty much out, and <laughs> I stayed out. Um, not to say that that's something that I'm, you know, proud of, but it is what it is. Um, it, it put me on the journey where I'm at now, and so what I'm saying is, is that today, um, listening to Congressman Cleaver. After all this time and being able to witness from a child the condition and the transition of my community, you know, again, you know, it's not all bad. There's been ups, there's been downs, there's been left, there's been rights. But, you know, if you pull back... <laughs> And you'll see that that little blip that we probably went up is just a small little fragment on a line that has been on the downward spiral 
especially when we talk about the quality of life. You see, that's the thing that a lot of the politicians, they want to gloss over. They want to gloss over the quality of life because ultimately they know, yeah, we can't legislate quality of life. Okay, well, what is it that you're trying to legislate? And that's where the kicker comes in. You see, because when you elect someone to office, yes, your cat's in your vote, regardless if you go to the ballot or not, your cat's in a vote. And it's really difficult to get people to understand that it's just more than you voting that's taking place. You even having the capacity to form an, an, an opinion on what it is that you're voting for is just as important or what it is that you're not voting for is just as important. And that is the process here in the United States of America is one of the most treasured things that we consider and one of the things that we are incredibly sensitive about. Um, but unfortunately, it seems to appear that for certain political figures, it's only important when what? When election time comes. And what do we have on the horizon? OMG. Yeah, because today is not only just the um, day we recognize Dr. Martin Luther King. Today, they're having a caucus in Iowa. And remember, like I said, I'm going to unpack some things or I'm going to let you know what my experience is. And maybe you can unpack some things for me because some people have unpacked some things for me. And I invite you to help me unpack some things. And I need you to start to unpack things yourself. Because, like I said, man, this is this one, this one's different. <laughs> Usually, I try to prepare, I try to write because I want to be clear. I don't want to ramble. I don't want to stumble. I want to make sure that I hit every single point. And sometimes I don't necessarily do a very good job at that because I'm not that great of a writer. And some of the things that I have on my heart, you know. Unfortunately, my fingers, my mind, um, and all that stuff doesn't coordinate at the speed and the clarity that I would like. Because, like I said, I'm not an academic. I didn't get 4.0s or go to an Ivy League school. But probably none of the people that are listening to me right now did neither. And guess what? Does that necessarily mean that we need to have folks that are in institutions and from backgrounds and pedigrees and fraternities and all these different things and these high accolades that, you know, a bunch of people can give to themselves? Does that mean that, you know, folks like you and I should be subject to their command and to their whim? I don't think so. I don't think so. And it's crazy because, like I said before, I listened to Congressman Cleaver when I was in the fifth grade. Um, 
there was a theme about that particular free um, field trip. The theme was to be drug-free until the year 2000. Now, <laughs> yeah, of course I'm dating myself here, but, you know, um, at that time, we were going into the middle 90s, and from my purview, from where I was in my city, and some of the things that were going on around me, I was like, okay, yeah, you might not necessarily have to worry about me, but I know a whole bunch of stuff is taking place in this city. I didn't know, you know, whether I was supposed to be exposed to it or not, because by that time in my life, you know, hey, yo, it was it was pretty much normalized. Like I said, from 25th in college to 33rd in or 35th in Cyprus, it's pretty much where I spent a great deal of my life as a child. And I didn't leave Kansas City until I was 18 years old and went to the Navy. And like I said, man, being the first, you see a lot. And especially having a young mother and she's just out there by herself, you know, the early 80s mid-80s, going into the 90s, what was also taking place in this country? Well, Reagan was elected, and, you know, a lot of people point they, their finger at Reagan, but we had just came from the Carter administration. We had just came from the Ford administration, the Nixon administration, the Johnson administration. Brum, 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 brum. Yep. Roll back the clock just a little bit. Make some associations just a little bit. And then you'll start to see, oh, there's a reason why MLK Day should have more reverence and importance to us now than it has ever been. And it has nothing to do with race. Nothing to do with as a matter of fact, today, one of the biggest things that shocked me was that the focus and the concern of our political figures was just that. They were saying that the greatest threat to the United States of America is Christian white people. Yes. Christian white. That's the greatest threat? Well, in that case, you know what? It's not even, it's not even time for me to go there right now. But hopefully, you can start to see or, you know what? Forget hopefully. Let me just put it out there. When eugenics was formed, I think the concept was formed, it 
little bit after, you know, of course, Darwin, you know, because a lot of these things are associated with Darwin and survival of the fittest and the evolution concept and biology and all these, you know, different things, which um, Darwin made his voyage um, around the world or, or through uh, however many countries, um, you know, he's considered the, the godfather or the, the founder of, uh, you know, biology or whatnot, the study of biology. Uh, and that was in the mid-1800s, 1850s or something like that. And so the concept started as a European concept, but quickly spread across the, the world because what did it ultimately do? Well, it gave people justification for some of the atrocities that were taking place around the world. And again, it's um, it's ironic, you know, that while the Europeans were, uh, you know, and, and remember this, <laughs> I was about to say a long time ago, but, you know, uh, eugenics is still taking place, you know, and it's alive and well today. Uh, please believe me. Um, but anyway, I'm not going to get into that right now. But then... The Europeans were basically building this theory of eugenics and creating the doctrine for it, you know, um, and creating the school around it and all these different institutions, right? Because what happens when an idea starts to manifest into a theory and that theory becomes actionable and it becomes an ideology. Well, what happens is that you potentially unlock Pandora's box on the ignorant masses and they won't even know it because once they realize or, and, and this again is the theory, <laughs> once they realize <laughs> what is actually taking place, there's a couple different things that will, you know, um, in theory, will have immediate effect. And that being that they'll believe that they can't fight because it's too difficult. They'll believe that Choices have to be made from a standpoint of survival, which means you start to surrender different type of freedoms. And there is really no telling where the oppression and the tyranny ends because you know, as the good minister said, tyranny and injustice knows no end. And like I said before, this concept of eugenics might have started in Europe, but it quickly spread to the United States or vice versa. I'm not sure. I'm not an expert on eugenics, but I know roughly about 
what the concept is associated with. But there was a woman who embraced the concept along with a whole bunch of other folks as well. And one of these particular folks was a woman named Margaret Sanger, I believe. I'm and, and, and I'm just freestyling right now. <laughs> For real. I'm not even, I don't have any notes in front of me or any of those things. And like I said, I typically, you know, try to prepare because I really want to give you value, something that you can actually um, look up, um, utilize, think about, ponder over, consider, and even reject if you need to. So I take this thing that serious because, like I said, I want it to serve as my record as well. I don't think everybody, you know, of course my family and, and, you know, and even my family sometimes, I don't think that they, you know, sit and wonder, you know, what I'm thinking all the time. You know, they don't need to. They got their own lives. But at the same time, I do think about them. And I have appreciated the capacity that I have developed over time, not only to think about them, but to think about others as well. And I've even embraced a vocation and a profession that makes it essential for me to listen to people, to empathize with them, to understand what it is that they're looking for, what their needs are, and try to produce for them the best solution that I have possible. Every single day almost. Have been doing it for a little bit now proud of it I'm not an expert but working on it every single day and even my pursuit of law school you don't go to law school well some of us don't go to law school just to put a esquire by their name no you should be going to law school to actually serve your community and to be a person of integrity a person who understands what ideas can have on people's lives. And when I listen to the congressman, and then I listen to, you know, Mayor Lucas, which is a trained lawyer, um, or at least he has a law degree. Um, you know, he's a law professor. I know he's a law professor. And so I know that he would have to know that his position and his role, you know, not, let me let me let me not even go there. Let me not even go there. Let me just put it to you this way: if you continuously see the same thing over and over and over and over again, when do you have to start believing your own eyes? <laughs> hey, I'm telling you, because lying to yourself is a horrible thing. You are talking to a class A um, mental health advocate. <laughs> 
take care of yourself. And the, the best way that you can take care of your mental health is not to lie to yourself. I'm telling you. Because I was lying to myself, calling myself a Democrat. Really, I never really called myself a Democrat. But there was a time. There was a time. Yep, you would have put an X right by my name or circle something, you know, Deron Black, Democratic Party, and wearing all the clothes, wearing all the lingo, wearing all the swag. Like I said, it's it's um MLK's recognition day today, but in 2016, um there was an Iowa caucus, and guess where I was? I was in Iowa during that caucus, supporting my candidate for the Democratic Party, Bernie Sanders, the good senator from Vermont. totally unaware totally ignorant remember how I was saying before how I gave reference to the fact that if you don't break out of a certain mindset just to see it from a different perspective then how do you know that it's that it's um that it's legit that it's verifiable you know Thomas Sowell wrote an incredible book called Knowledge and Decisions. And, you know, I know people call Tom Soul whatever, but, you know, produce a work that can refute his. Produce a work that can challenge what Soul is demonstrating. And Soul is a man. He, <laughs> It's unfortunate that Soul has not won Nobel Prize in Economics, and this, you know, of course, I'm saying it, yes, because I'm a fan, Soul's peer group says it. What is that about? Could it have something to do, maybe, that he's a black man, and that the person who was even credited for establishing the world was associated with eugenics? Huh. Go look it up. Go look it up. But like I said, someone enlightened me. Someone had to show me. Now, it wouldn't have meant anything if I didn't use my own intelligence and understandings and, and, and rationality and come to conclusions about certain things and do research about certain things and even sit back, ponder, wait, and even pray on certain things to help get clarity with what it is that I was being exposed to. So you have to do the same thing. We all have to do the same thing because that's what that's how knowledge is is verified. That's how knowledge becomes knowledge. And you should make decisions off of good knowledge. But when you know certain things because of your privileged position and you see that a particular 
outcome is not taking place based off what it is that you know, then when do you change? When do you change your mind? I, I believe it was John Maynard Keynes who said, um, you know, when the fact changes, my mind changes. How do you make decisions? Uh, you know, I believe it was a discussion between him and somebody. You know, I might be wrong about that. I'm, I'm quite often wrong about these things. Like I said, I'm not an academic. I don't have an encyclopedia of um, information. I do read a lot of books. That doesn't mean anything. Um, for the most part, it just means that, you know, I'm literate, I guess. And as simple of a statement that is, it's not even the norm anymore, or it's quickly becoming um, the rarity. I believe that only 60% of this population, of the adult population, is actually literate. 60%. So you're talking about 40% of the population. You put 10 people in the room, 10 average Americans in the room, black, white, red, green, or yellow, 40%. And, you know, of course, like I said, I'm not one of those people who likes to put colors and stuff on, amongst people, but look at the conditions of the inner city schools. Black and white in Kansas City, Missouri. As a matter of fact, the state of Missouri. Yes, the state of Missouri. And I'm pretty sure there's some folks in some other places as well that probably can say the same thing about their states. And let's let's again, like I said, go back to what prompted this, <laughs> I guess, MLK special podcast. Yeah, I was dropping one, but, you know, this one, this one I felt just, just, just has to be a little bit different. Um, you know, I am following a formula here, and I was trying to build up, you know, to something with the group that I was blessed to be able to put together, Alpha Male Nation. And, you know, I've been having some discussions with some folks, and I have every intention to make this thing better, bring some folks on, have some interviews, and really cut into the quick of Kansas City and really unearth as much as I can because, you know, we, we got to, you know, well, I don't forget or I'm, I've never forgotten the depth of corruption that has always existed in Kansas City, which is goes way back. You know, Pendergast, all of that. Like I said, organized crime, all of it. Drugs, all of it. A lot of folks don't know this, but the first reference to black mafia, that's Kansas City, Missouri. I didn't believe it myself. Heard about it. Didn't know by anybody who was a part of it. And for the most part, you didn't think it was real. Like, oh, man, what they do? Just steal, steal um, you know, meets them concept? Nope. Nope, not even close. Not even close. 
stuff goes back a long time. And it's a tragedy because even though for the most part, I wouldn't even say for the most part, I'd say for a great deal, Kansas City has moved past a lot of that legacy. The things that we suffer from today is from what I see as the remnants of that legacy and there is no one at at present, let me just say it, at present committed enough to make the sacrifice necessary to be the change agent that's really needed. You know, I, I know how, how much of a small fry I am. And that's why I typically, when folks say anything about, you know, anything about, you know, I, <laughs> why, why me? Ain't, no, ain't, nothing, ain't nothing special. But that doesn't make me happy, man. It actually makes me sad and frustrated because I know there's a lot of good folks out there in this city who care about this city, who care about this community. But most of the time, you know what if they've turned out to be? Mm, mm, mm. I'm not going to cuss or anything like that, but they're just fake, man. Just straight up fake. Straight fake. And fake to the point of almost being Hollywood. And that's strange because it's like, yo, yeah, Walt Disney might have came from Kansas City, but remember, Disney left and went out to Hollywood to create a fantasy land. And it seems as if, for the most part, the folks who want to be the so-called stewards of the community, and or, or at least the, from the political positions, they are just straight up Hollywood, you know, um, performers, you know, uh, and, I'm, I'm, and it's like all down the line, you know, catchphrases and um, things that sound good. Yeah, they, done, they, they, they claim to have done the work, but how? How? Um, but anyway. I'm going to go ahead and wrap that up here. Um, definitely, <laughs> like I said, we'll be getting back to the development of Alpha Male Nation. Like I said, because it, even even me, you know, taking this time out to put this one together for a particular purpose, like I said, it's kind of pretty much a response to what I uh, went through today. At the, it's a beautiful event, though. I mean, beautiful event. One of the things that you can always say about the brothers at the fraternities and everything is that they can they can put together some stuff that looks very good and it feels good to be in a room you know um, but guys that's not gonna get us there ladies that's not gonna get us there um, boys and girls old young black purple green and yellow <laughs> the performance stuff is not going to get us there and we are dealing with way more than just um, so-called racism 
from white Christians. Uh, <laughs> I don't even want to start there. Uh, we're, we're dealing with um, some situations that are global in nature and scale. And if you weren't given the goggles, you know, so to speak, to see, man, you probably won't even be able to make the connection. But it's, it's right there, though. I promise you, it's right there. There's a reason why folks keep talking about low-income housing. What does that mean? Okay, yeah, I understand you don't have any money today, but w are, are you trying to get some money? Are the folks who say they want to see you progress, are they getting out your way so you can get some money? Or are they creating the opportunities for you to get some money? Because that's what you should be talking about, and that's where the conversation switches at. So that's where I found that. When I was with the Bernie bros and all that, oh, yeah, we can go kick down some doors, and we can go rah, rah, rah about, you know, the N-word and, and all this and all that. But when it comes to the real economic development, and I'm not talking about just giving a check to a developer. What does that do? Giving a check to a developer. You got 20 barbershops out here. You got 20 garages out here. You got dude doing hair or a chick doing hair, and then the dude driving the Uber. Uh, you, you know, all these folks out here, they not in business too? So anyway, like I said, I'm going to stop. Um, peace, love, happiness. And please, man, don't forget to like and